We, uh, many of you know, if you've been a part of this church for a long time, have a, a very uh, incredible history of involvement with different mission partners throughout the city here and also throughout the world. And one of the partnerships that we've enjoyed, and it's hopefully been mutually beneficial, I know we've gotten a lot out of it, is our long-term partnership with African Enterprise. African Enterprise is a ministry uh, that does a lot of evangelistic work and training and discipleship throughout the African continent. And as I mentioned earlier in the prayer time, we're going to be sending a team this summer. Uh, I had the privilege of going down to South Africa to Point Port Elizabeth to a big crusade. They have evangelists all over the, the continent, and they do their work in the various countries But then they gather annually and just say, Lord, we're going to claim this city for you and have all sorts of meetings, everything from university campuses to business leaders to outdoor crusades and whatnot. And uh, the evangelists come and just share Christ. And and the fruit is incredible in terms of what happens. It was on uh, one of these trips that I first uh, heard about our guest speaker. And then several years back, he actually came and um, talked to our missions committee. And Stephen Lungu, who you're going to have a chance to meet here in just a second, is just an incredible man of God who has a life story that after tonight you're going to want to grab this book. I grabbed this. It's Out of Black Shadows. It's basically his story of transformation because his life is truly a living miracle and a testament to how God can transform a life. And so if you would uh, allow me to pray for him and then we'll bring him up here and then you can... Welcome him with a round of applause. So let's pray for Stephen. God, thank you for the privilege of having our brother Stephen here with us. Thank you for the work that uh, you've done through him as he labors in Malawi but serves you with African Enterprise. I pray that you would open up all of our ears to hear what you have to say to us individually and corporately as the church. Thank you that his wife Rachel could be here with him tonight. And Lord, just may he sense your pleasure and joy as he is sharing your word with us. Thank you for Stephen, and thank you for this night. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give Stephen a round of applause as he comes up. I hope you can see me, because I'm too dark. If you can't see me, you can see my teeth at least. (laughs) Okay. Um, Good. Ah, good. Uh, It's nice to be here. I'm a Presbyterian, a very staunch Presbyterian. Uh, Born in Zimbabwe, grew up in Zimbabwe, then I'm living in Malawi. And I thank God for my wife, Rachel. She's a precious gift into my life. And uh, I thank God for her. Uh, Don't deserve her, but uh, God, by his mercy, after seven years of trusting God for a wife, Uh, My prayer was that God will deal with me first. And many people say, God, I want God to give me a good wife. But I wanted God to deal with me first before he gave me the good wife. Uh, Because so often we want a good thing, but ourselves are not good. And so I prayed for seven years trusting God for a wife because I didn't trust myself that I could look after a wife well according to the scriptures. So I wanted to look after the wife according to the scriptures, to the word of God, that every day she must hear, you know, women crave for love. And I want to hear every day, I love you. And when she hears it, she wants to see it with her eyes. That is it true what I'm hearing. And then she wants to feel it. And uh, I want to give a woman three things, man, you have wanted. 
And so that was my prayer for seven years. And I thank God that uh, the Lord gave me the wonderful wife uh, he gave into my life. What a blessing she is. A great woman of God, an intercessor, and who has put me straight to be the man I am today. And <laughs> um, well, let me just go through. I can't see that time. I have to look at this one. You Americans, you have the watches, but you don't have time. <laughs> Always in a hurry, hurry, hurry. You know, fast, fast cars, fast food, fast marriages, fast divorce, fast services in the church. Everything is fast, fast, fast. Now, you must come to Africa where we can export time to you, actually. <laughs> uh, we have plenty of time in Africa. When we come to, you know, praise God, we go for hours. This thing doesn't mean anything in Africa. Yes, so I'll try to keep to a watch by seven. I must be done. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I was flying from Sacramento just on Monday, and as we were coming, I had a red eye, um, had some problems with my eyes, and then I wanted to sleep in the plane, and then I put my glasses, and I forgot my glasses in the, in the plane. And so if you see me struggling reading, it's because I forgot my glasses in the plane. <laughs> Yeah, now I want to read just briefly uh, from the Word of God from Mark chapter 10. I want to base my testimony from the book of Mark chapter 10 uh, from verse 46. <clears throat> Mark chapter 10 from verse 46. <clears throat> I'm reading from the NIV translation. And I'm reading because my reading is part of my testimony. Um, because I'm coming from a background where I didn't have the privilege of, uh, of, of having education. And so the first Bible I ever read, I mean the first book I ever read was the Bible. So I want to read as a testimony of God's grace that Jesus is still in the business of changing lives. Jesus is still in the business of doing miracles because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I want to read from verse 46 through to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called it to the blind man. Cheer up on your feet, he is calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, 
your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Praise his name. Now, the best verse in the whole Bible, if I were to go and ask each one of you to give me different verses, your most favorite uh, verse in the Bible. And some think John 3.16 is the best verse in the whole Bible. But I have my own verse, which is the best verse in the whole Bible. And uh, the best verse, if the whole Bible missed this verse, now, to me, the Bible would have been incomplete. But because of this verse, man, I'm excited. And, uh, and so the verse goes like this, verse 49, Jesus stopped. That's all. Jesus stopped. And that's the best verse in the Bible. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, we are what we are because one time Jesus stopped for us. You can never be a Christian if Jesus doesn't stop for you. And the fact that Jesus stopped for each one of us, today we have a testimony of God's grace, of what he did into our lives because one day he stopped for us. Because when Jesus stops, that means heaven stops. When Jesus moves, heaven moves. And that's why I love Jesus. Because when he stops... I visualize all the angels in heaven all looking down, asking themselves, why has he stopped? Because the angels heard Jesus saying, there's so much rejoicing in heaven because of one sinner who comes to Christ. And so when Jesus stops, they are all ready. I can visualize them saying, now it is time to dance for one sinner. Now, but, you know, I love the angels because they don't dance the American way. They all dance the African way. Because you Americans don't know how to dance. <laughs> they all dance the African way because we know how to dance. Amen. Oh, oh praise the Lord. <laughs> Man, here you don't know how to shake your bodies, but come to Africa, we'll teach you how to dance. Yeah, and so there's so much rejoicing in heaven because of one sinner who comes to Christ. This man, Bartimaeus, had five problems. Number one, he was blind. Number two, he depended upon someone to take him from point A to point B. Number three, he was left by the roadside where there was no participation. There was no involvement. There was no action. He was a spectator. You know, when you sit by the roadside, you become a spectator. You are not part of the, uh, the, the business of God when he's in action. And fourthly, he was a beggar. And when you have all these four, you become lonely. Very lonely. Until when he heard that Jesus was passing by, he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Now, this man was like junk in the eyes of many people. Even according to the scriptures, some told him to be quiet. He was a thing. He had no value. He was just a thing like a stone or an object which was sitting there, which was not important. 
It, until Jesus comes, when he hears about Jesus, he shouts, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus heard that cry in spite of the noise which, has, which was around there. Jesus can hear your cry in spite of the noise around the world. And there's so much noise around the world, the noise of AIDS, the noise of unborn children being killed, the noise of gay issues and so on. There's too much noise, Iraq and so on. But Jesus can hear your cry. In spite of the noise around the world, Jesus will hear that cry. And Jesus heard the cry of this man. And verse 49 comes in, Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. When Jesus stopped, I can visualize the whole heaven looking down, Jesus having stopped there. And then when Jesus stopped, he says, call him, call him. Now, if I were Peter and John and Philip, I would say, Jesus, are you crazy? Can't you just walk to where the blind man is? But you are asking the blind man to come to you. You know, when Jesus stops, he will not walk to where you are. When he stops, he wants you to take your path towards Jesus. You know, you must take your path towards Jesus. When he stops for you, you take your path coming to him. But what Jesus was doing here, he knew this man was blind. And then he says, call him. Let him come to me. And he could see him fumbling, coming to Jesus. What Jesus was trying to do was to change his mindset. His mindset was, he was telling himself, I am blind, I am blind, I am blind. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's impossible. It's too difficult. It's too difficult. Jesus wanted to change that mindset. And then when he comes to Jesus, he stands right in front of Jesus. He still asks him, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, Jesus saw this man was blind. If I were Peter, I said, Jesus, just heal him. Why ask him the question? Why spend all that time? You know, but all still, Jesus is a gentleman. Praise God. Jesus is a gentleman. He will never intrude into your life. He will never interfere with your life. He will come into your life by your permission. You have to allow him to come into your life by your permission. So Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And he just said, Jesus, I am blind. I want to receive my sight. And then Jesus says, go. Your faith has healed you. And his eyes popped up. Wow! This is Jesus. (sighs) Can you imagine the joy, the excitement of this man? He was not dancing the American way. (laughs) When his eyes opened, he did the African way, rejoicing. Because from that moment, he followed Jesus along the road. Where there was action where there was involvement, where there was participation. You can never say you are a believer while you are not involved to the things of God. You you need to participate in a prayer meeting, in everything in the church, because now you are on the road, sitting by the roadside, being a spectator is gone, because now you can see him. 
And that's where I come in as myself, uh, my life. And uh, that's where Jesus stopped for me. Born in, in Zimbabwe, grew up in Zimbabwe. And uh, uh, my, in Africa that time, in those days, they were used to have arranged marriages. My mom was given to marriage when she was only 13 years old. Given to a man who was about 50 years old. So a 13-year-old girl marrying a 50-year-old man, the gap was just too wide. And the marriage didn't work out. And I was born when my mother was only 14. And she almost died. And then the first battle started between my father and my mother. I overheard when I was five years old, passing by the bedroom of my parents, overheard my dad saying to my mom, this boy Stephen doesn't belong to me. He doesn't resemble me. Can you imagine a small boy overhearing your dad saying you don't resemble him? You are not his child. And questions were, who is actually my father? Who is my mother? And I would overhear my mom saying, he's your son, he's your son. If you ever say these words again, I'll kill myself. I used to wonder what is killing myself. And there were all these battles, my parents being good Presbyterians, on Sunday, they went to church, but at the church, my father had a religious face. But back at home, he was like a lion over my mother. He was two in one. At church, he was a different person. At home, he was a different person. Thank God here, you don't fight in your marriages. But in Africa, they fight. And so there were these conflicts until my father, had, uh, my mother had another child and another child. And my father walked out of the house. And one day out of desperation, my mother took us downtown and said, Steve, hold your baby sister, I'll be back. I'm going into the uh, public toilet. And she went to the public toilet. I was holding my little baby sister. We waited and waited and waited. One hour became, became two hours, became three hours. My mother was gone. And what do you do after all these crying in the streets? The baby was crying. And then later on, the police came to my rescue and rushed with my baby sister to the hospital and my brother and I to the orphanage. And that was another separation between our only sister and the two brothers, which was going to take 49 years before we met our own sister. And so that's the curse of divorce. It's always when a husband and wife divorce, the victims are the children. They are on the receiving end. Because now they begin a process of going to visit dad and visit mom, visit dad and mom, and that's the case of divorce. And that's where I, I'm coming from. And when I talk about divorce, I know it. I've been there. And later on at the orphanage, I used used these beatings from these bigger boys, and I was bleeding. The teacher said, who beat you up? I said, I've just arrived. Uh, I don't know their names. He said, young boy, I'm not playing games. I said, well, I've just arrived. And he tied me on a pole, took off my shorts, and whipped me 12 times. He said, unless you tell me the names of the, these boys. And I was screaming and wetting myself. And thinking that, you know, I'll have... You know, merciful ears, but all my cry went to deaf ears. And the following day to happen again, and the third day I couldn't stand it any longer. And I said, Steve, don't cry this. Don't cry, be a man. Now, how an eight-year-old boy 
you tell yourself, you must be a man. And when he tied me on the pole, whipped me 12 times, there was not one drop of a tear in my eyes. And he felt defeated. And he tied me again. He said, young boy, you think you are tough? And he gave me another 12, but not one drop of a tear. He didn't realize that when a boy doesn't cry, you have actually created a very dangerous boy. Because tears help you to release what is inside. Tears is medicine. Never, ever hold back your tears when you are hurting. Tears is medicine because if you hold back those tears, even the best counselor can never reach out to your heart because you held those back, those tears. Tears is medicine. And I left that orphanage, started, went to the bush, and then started living under a bridge that became my permanent home. And I used to go and scavenge in the garbage bins. And I grew up feeding myself from the garbage bins. And later on, from garbage bins, I would find other boys in the streets who are orphans like me. And we became friends. And our, you know, our group started growing and growing. We were 14, 16, and so on. And then it became my family. And we started, you know, breaking into cars, stealing car radios, and breaking into homes, and so forth. And sometimes out of anger, you would take a nail, go to a brand new car, scratch the whole paint around, always trying to take out these tears inside me, and trying to release myself the anger, the bitterness in me. And then when I was 10 years old, I started smoking my first cigarette. And this cigarette led me to marijuana. Marijuana led me to sniffing glue, sniffing gas, LSD, all the different drugs. And I became a drug addict when I was only 11 years old. And when I was 12, my friends said, hey, to survive in the streets, you need to get people's wristwatch or the purse or, or the wallets and so on and use a knife. If you want a watch, just use a knife, get the watch, sell it, buy food. That's how we survive in the streets. One boy came to laugh at me because I was dirty. My hair was full of lies. I'd been under that bridge for many months without a bath. My whole body was stinking. And he laughed at me, look at you. Look at you, you are dirty and so on. And he, when he went, to, went on laughing at me, I was just standing there. He didn't realize that here was a boy who was angry inside. And I was like a balloon about to explode. But he made a big mistake. He came to touch my forehead. When he touched my forehead, I pulled out my knife and went over him. And when, as I was walking away, as if I'd done nothing. And that leads you to another, to another and to another. And later, when I was 16, I joined the Freedom Fighters in Zimbabwe where was said, communism is the best ideology. This Bible was brought by the white men to brainwash the black people. And the white men came to Africa to say, God is love. Why he told us that God is love, he took our country, he made us slaves, and he got richer and richer, while the black men got poorer and poorer. And so I was angry against the Bible, any church, so I vowed that I'll kill every white man. And you only greet a white man when he's dead. Kill him first and greet him later. 
Yeah, never talk to a uh, living white man because it will make you a slave. And so I said, well, that's what I'm going to do. So don't worry, you know, you are safe tonight. <laughs> I could see your face is going red. <clears throat> and so um, life went on like that, and then we started causing riots, so, uh, throwing petrol bombs and so on. And when I was 20 years old, I happened to be assigned to go and play, uh, plant a bomb at a certain bank. I said, well, that's fine. I'll go and do it. But as we were going towards that uh, uh, bank, we saw this massive big tent, bigger than this auditorium. And we went there, and we thought it was a circus. And we decided to go. I said, well, let's go and hear, see what is happening. But when we got nearer, we heard that they were speaking about Jesus. When I heard this name, Jesus, I was so angry, very, very angry. I said, Jesus is a white man. How can I believe in a white man's God? There's no way I can believe in this white man's God. Jesus is a white man. So he brought these white people here to, to, to make us slaves. So let's go and kill the Christians first. So we got there. I said, surround the tent. And at 7 o'clock on the dot, I'll blow the whistle, throw the bombs at one time. I want every person inside to die. If one person is going to escape, I'll give you a gift of a bullet in your head. They say, okay, Steve, we'll, we'll do that. But when we wanted to, you know, they were about to surround the tent, one of my friends had a stolen watch. He said, Steve, it is about five minutes to seven. I said, well, since we've got five minutes, let's go inside and listen for just two minutes. Not more than two minutes. And that was a good mistake to give God two minutes. <laughs> so we went inside and sat near the entrance. They all, all of us, the 14 of us, and then they started singing choruses and like the band here. And my group started singing on top of our voices, out of tune to disturb the meeting. And one of the preachers came and touched my shoulder. He said, please, boys, you are making noise. I pulled out my knife. I said, preacher, don't ever touch me. If you touch me, I'll kill, kill you right now. And one woman ran to the preacher and said, please move away from these boys. They are very dangerous. And he moved away. And then he suddenly they invited a beautiful girl from Johannesburg in South Africa to share her testimony. That put me off balance because she was very pretty and I was confused. Uh, <clears throat> and then I said, now what's wrong with this? How such, you know, such a beautiful girl because I couldn't reconcile beauty and, and Christianity. I used to think Christianity is for the old, old grannies who are about to die, you know, because they are going to face God or maybe ugly girls who could not have boyfriends. They, they needed to be Christians. But such a beautiful girl becoming a Christian was for that beauty. But the more she shared this testimony, her face was shining with the glory of God. She had something which I didn't have. But I couldn't put my finger on why her, her face was, you know, full of, you know, that glory. And then she invited another black evangelist from South Africa. And this man stood up and read two verses. Romans 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. And then he read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. For, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, he became poor, 
that through his poverty, you may be rich in Christ. I've got two minutes. I've got to rush in two minutes. <coughs> and then, as he, as he read the two verses, uh, after reading the two verses, he kept quiet and looked at us, and he held his Bible like this, and was silent for about five minutes or so. And he started crying. And he was crying in tears on his Bible. Then I said to myself, this is another confusion. I've never seen a preacher who reads the Bible, and then he starts by crying. Why is he crying? And then he went on crying, and then he wanted to say something, but like something was choking his voice. And then the first word he said, I am crying because the Spirit of God is telling my spirit right now that so many people seated here tonight may die tonight. I said, oh, oh, guys, you hear what that preacher is saying? So I took one of my guns from the back uh, and then tucked here in front. We started making our bombs ready. And then this man started preaching about God's love. As he preached about Jesus, that Jesus came to do the transaction on the cross. And that if you give him your sins, he'll give you his forgiveness and eternal life. But he demonstrated this transaction by being born in the manger that you may be born in a hospital. He walked on the dust roads. He had a borrowed donkey. He had a borrowed house for his holy communion. He had a borrowed cross, a borrowed grave that you may have eternal life. As he was preaching about Jesus that night, I saw a vision of Jesus behind the preacher. And I said to my friends, do you see what I'm seeing behind the preacher? I said, I don't see anything. I said, whisper to this, I said, I don't see anything. I could see Jesus hanging on the cross as this preacher was preaching in tears. But then he turned that message, he said, this same Jesus of love, of grace, of mercy, one day is coming again, but will be the God of judgment. And that's the part I didn't like. When he talked about the God of judgment, he says every sinner, every drug addict, every person who is a, a, you know, a full of hatred and anger will never inherit the kingdom of God. And when he, he would point his finger, that finger as if every time he pointed that finger as if he was pointing at me, he would point this direction, but like the finger was bending towards me. <laughs> and, and, and he would point this direction still like the finger was bending towards me. And I didn't like that finger. So I pulled out my knife I was about to stab my friend. I said, I'll kill you. Why did you tell that preacher about my sins? And my friend pulled out his knife. He said, I'll kill you also. You told him about my sins too. And then we started fighting. We sat down with our knives like this. But still that finger made me restless. I didn't like that finger at all. But the next thing when he would do like this, I would duck down behind someone's back. And I'll sit up when the finger came. I'll duck down and I'll sit up. So I was going up and down, up and down. But little did I know that you can never hide from the finger of God. When the finger of God is pointing at sin in your life, you can sing, you can laugh, you can do anything. But when the finger of God, through the Holy Spirit, touching your life, you can never hide from that finger. And suddenly I broke down in tears. I picked up my guns and my bombs started walking forward, knelt at the feet of that preacher. I didn't wait for him to finish preaching. 
while he was still preaching, I held his legs as I was crying for mercy from God. And he went on preaching. He didn't stop preaching. And I arrived again, came to the tent, threw the bombs in the tent, blew up the tent as just as he said. Many people died that night. People were fleeing for their lives. Soldiers were shooting outside to bring peace again. And the tent had bent up to the top. Many cars were set ablaze outside. And after some 40 minutes or so, it was quiet. He said, young man, why have you remained behind? I said, can you Jesus save a sinner like me? And I was dirty. My hair was full of lies, thin, uneducated. Maybe they were disappointed when they saw me. But they didn't know the grace of God. That God was going to touch this young boy. Lift me up and put me in the hands of Jesus and make me a somebody. And I thank God that that night when that preacher was talking to me, I said, don't tell me about this God. I want you a Jesus you have been preaching about. And then this preacher was confused because I was denying God. I wanted Jesus. And then after a while, he started crying. And then I wondered why he was crying. He said, young man, let me tell you about me. And then he said, a young girl in Soweto and Johannesburg was coming from school. A man with a knife got hold of the girl, forced her in the bush, raped her several times. And then later on, she became pregnant. And she didn't like this child out of, out of rape. She took the child, forced in the child in the toilet, public toilet, and ran away. Another woman was going to help herself found this child, rushed to the hospital, the child survived. And he said, that child is me. And I saw his life and my life were identical. And I said, if Jesus could save this, uh, this man, he can save me too. So he read me Psalms 27, which, uh, verse 10, which says, though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. It was because of this scripture, I knelt down that night as Jesus Come into my life. Change me tonight. And that night, Jesus came into my life. I felt as from the top of my head, everything was being removed. I felt so clean inside. A heavy load of sin had rolled away. The peace of God flooded my heart. The joy, no language under the sun can ever explain that joy, that, that peace I experienced that night. I was crying. And the joy was that here were these white guys. I started loving them. And the miracle happened. The power of drugs left me that night. And God cleansed my mouth. I used to have a very bad language. Every second word was a terrible language. But Jesus cleansed my mouth that day. And I went under the bridge. I said, God, you have saved my life. Now, God, I don't know how to read and write. But Lord, I just want to tell the whole world about your love. And the Spirit of God came upon me with such power. And, uh, and behind me, I heard that audible voice saying, Stephen, Stephen, stand up. I'll send you to the nations you do not know. I turned around to look at one who was talking to me. I couldn't see anybody. And I went to sleep. And that night was my best sleep ever for the first time. And the following day, I woke up. And I looked at all the trees. They looked brand new. I said, why? Why couldn't I see this beauty before? It was so good. And I started crying because of the 
goodness of creation. And I knelt down under a tree and I hugged this tree. I said, Lord Jesus, if you are only here, I could have hugged you like this to tell you how much I love you. But that night, that morning, the Spirit of God came upon me with such power. I don't know what language I was talking. And I had never been told about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But that night was so, that morning was so glorious. And I said, God, it's enough. It is enough. And the word says, take these weapons and surrender yourself to the police. And I took my weapons, went to the police. And when I got there, I said, I'm under arrest. He said, where is the officer? I said, you couldn't arrest me, but Jesus is arrested in my heart. He said, what? Uh, they didn't understand what. But after eight hours of interrogation, as I close, I want to close. <coughs> after eight hours, in Africa, we close many times. <coughs> and, and I will close the American way. <laughs> and as the, after eight hours of interrogation, they invited all the evangelists to come and witness and so on. And after eight hours of interrogation, they said, well, I mean, we have never seen such a thing that a gang leader comes on his own. And if you don't call this a miracle, we don't know what to call it. And so after eight hours, they say, if Jesus has forgiven you, we forgive you too. And what a wonderful Savior. The Bible says, the Bible says, if the Son of Man shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. And I was completely free. Heaven forgave me. The government forgave me. And, and the police officer gave me money to go and buy myself a Bible. And I bought myself a brand new Bible, which I didn't know how to read. But I enjoyed just flipping the pages. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I said, the day I'll read this book, I'll read it and read it. And so I used to go to the bush. One week, no food, no water. Praying and fasting. He said, God, just please open my eyes to read your book. And sometimes for two weeks, and the Spirit of God would come upon me and said, Stephen, I will open your eyes, and I'll send you to many nations. And when I see myself in the United States, God told me that would send me around the world. And right now I can tell you I've gone around the whole globe proclaiming Jesus that he's Lord, he's the Savior, the Redeemer of the world, and he's still in the business of changing lives. And as I was preaching in Zimbabwe, many people came forward. And I was praying for the sick. And God touched many lives. And one woman jumped up. I'm healed, I'm healed. And I said, and she came to me and said, I want to receive Jesus into my life. And I prayed with that lady. And she accepted the Lord Jesus as a personal Savior. I said, God bless you. Come again tomorrow. I said, no, I've got one more problem. I said, what is your problem? I said, from the way I've shared your testimony, you must be my son. And that was my mother. The boy she dumped, that same boy grew up, became an evangelist. That same boy led mother to Jesus. And this is what the gospel is all about. I couldn't forgive my mother. There was no way I could forgive my mother. But God had to give me the inner healing to, for, to forgive my own mother. And later on, I found my father, led him to Jesus. And I, he accepted the Lord, took him in my home. And after five years or so, he, he went to be with the Lord when he was 104. 
There was no way I could forgive my own father. No way. But Jesus had to give me that inner healing to be able to forgive my own father. Maybe I'm talking to someone this evening. You are still hurting because of the past. You are hurting. Maybe through divorce. And the first divorce is influencing your second marriage. You are still hurting because of your first divorce. Or maybe you are sexually abused or abused in one way or another. It's still affecting your life. But when Jesus comes into your life, man, he wants to change that. For me, I'm stuck with my past. I can never change it. But one thing Jesus can change is to change the impact of the past, not to influence the present. That's what Jesus can do. He changed that impact of the past that I'm not, you know, influenced by the past anymore because Jesus has taken over my life. And maybe I'm talking to someone here who has never been born again. You have never surrendered your life to Jesus. Tonight you can say, God, have mercy upon me. Come into my life. Change me. If you did this to Stephen, you can do it to me also. Or maybe you are a Christian right here. God, God maybe saved you, but you don't have the passion. You don't have that zeal for Christ. You are lukewarm. There's no passion for Christ. Let the Spirit of God touch you tonight and change you and give you that passion for Jesus. How can you say you are born again? You love the Lord, but up to this very minute, you have never won one soul to Jesus. One soul to Jesus. And yet you say you are born again. Oh, my brother and sister, if you experience Jesus in your life, you are not afraid of anything to talk about Jesus. I talk about Jesus when I go through the immigration. When they stamp my passport, I talk about Jesus. When I'm flying above the airplane, the unfortunate person is the one who sits next to me. I talk about Jesus. I never stop talking about Jesus. I've won many people above the clouds to Jesus through the immigration. I can tell you, even in the shop, when they are punching the price, I talk about Jesus. I never stop talking about Jesus because I know where I'm coming from. I know my identity and I know where I'm going. That excites me because I know where I'm going. Maybe God has been speaking to you. Say, God, touch me and change me. You are still hurting inside and want God to change your life tonight. You can say, God, please minister into my life. Shall we pray? I want you to say, God, I want you to minister into my life. And here I am. Please. God have mess upon me. I want you to stand up where you are and I want to pray with you. Say, Lord, I need you. I don't have the passion which I, sh I should have. But Lord, I really want you to touch my life and minister to my life. I want you to stand up where God bless you. God bless you. Just say, God, um, I'm still holding the past into my life or maybe I don't know whatever it is. Or you want to say, God, I really need you tonight to come into my heart. 
to change me. I want you to stand up where you are. Pastor, can you come forward? I said, God, please minister into my life and do an eternal job into my life. And the Spirit of God is going to minister into you. Don't be afraid of anything. Say, God, please touch me. I want the pastor to pray for you. Let's pray. Lord, as we are in front of you and these brothers and sisters uh, claim you publicly, thank you that you've said, Jesus, that if we stand before you here, you will stand before your heavenly Father and the angels, Lord. And if we are afraid to stand for you here, you will not acknowledge us there. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. And I pray for these brothers and sisters, Lord, that your spirit is touched. I pray, God, for those that are making these commitments, that, God, that you would be able to help us to help them in this next step. Those that are seeking just simply that final wave that will float their boat on your grace and to let go of that past. May that take care of tonight. And so, Lord, we pray that you continue now to work and minister among us as your Holy Spirit. We sense his presence here tonight. Thank you, Lord. Do your work as we sing to you. In your name we pray. Amen.